Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. This week, Andrew, independent publisher Lee and Lowe released a survey on diversity in publishing employment that showed change is coming slowly to the industry. Yeah, that's right. So the report created by uh, publisher Lee and Lowe was released every four years. The last one was in 2019, just before the pandemic. And perhaps more importantly for this survey, before the social and racial justice awakening that came in response to the murder of George Floyd, after which the publishing industry and many other industries committed to diversifying both its ranks and the books they publish, at least for the publishing industry, the books they publish. The survey involved nearly 200 companies of all sizes, including publishers, university presses, literary agencies, and they got responses from more than 8,500 people about race and gender and sexual orientation, uh, even age and disability. And the top line finding, white workers made up 72.5% of the book business in 2023, down from the last survey in 2019, which found that white people accounted for 76% of publishing industry employees, uh, down from 79% in the previous survey in 2015. But what I think is most concerning is that the survey found that the percentage of black people was pretty much unchanged from 2019, uh, coming in right around 5%. And the number of Latino employees actually fell from 6% to 4.6%. So we've covered the report in PW, and you can read the coverage online, most of which points to the data in the survey. But I think it's the coverage in the mainstream media that's more likely what our listeners are going to be paying attention to, because that's where the hot takes are really coming from. And the hot takes from places like the New York Times uh, and some other outlets are questioning whether a 6.5% increase in diversity since 2015 is disappointing, whether a 3.5% change since 2019 calls into question whether publishing companies, and I'll quote the Times here, have faltered in their pledge to prioritize racial diversity. So I don't think this really is a case of faltering so much as it is a case of not really having any idea about how to affect the change that the industry needs and says it wants. And the Times report even notes that slow progress reflects broader entrenched structural and cultural problems at play here. Now, I would certainly agree that the pace of change is disappointing, but my disappointment stems not so much from the commitment of leaders in the industry, but the failure of these leaders to really think more broadly about the structural and cultural problems that are keeping publishing so white. Because publishing is a cultural industry, after all, and it's uniquely positioned to foment that kind of broader change that's really needed to make meaningful change, not just in the industry, but in society at large. And so far, I think the efforts in the publishing industry have been very inwardly focused and very narrow. And in my opinion, at best, the efforts that we've seen in publishing houses so far are designed to sort of nibble around the edges of what really is a much more fundamental issue in our society. You've often reported on this program, Andrew, about the reactionary attacks in the U.S. on school and public libraries, along with related book bans. Some observers assert such activity is a backlash to the kind of diversity efforts publishers have undertaken. Is that backlash reflected in the survey? 
It's interesting because this survey period covers a very tumultuous time, right before the pandemic, through the backlash uh, that's now being reflected in this surge in book bans. You know, in the New York Times coverage of the survey, uh, Knopf's Errol McDonald noted that publishers went out of their way to embrace diversity uh, and suggested that the intensity seems to be on the wane these days. And that despite talk of a revolution that the industry was going to change in five or 10 years, that that doesn't appear to be happening. But I have to say, I don't really think the intensity is on the wane because we have seen publishers and publishing industry leaders marshal significant resources filing lawsuits, for example, to defend diverse books. And we have absolutely seen an increase in diverse books being acquired and sold. In the introduction, Jason Lowe, one of the survey's founders here, even notes that the industry is consistently moving in the right direction. But is this the kind of change that we really are looking for, right? And the kind of changes that I'm talking about is, well, in terms of what the industry has done, as the Times notes, publishers have made, for example, a concerted push to recruit and publish more people of color. But that takes time to really see that reflected in a survey like this, especially if you're going to do it right. And I would argue that publishing doesn't exactly have the greatest pitch to young people of color right now, right? The pitch is like, hey, come work for us. We're going to pay you an unlivable wage, and you're going to have to scratch and claw against an entrenched white culture. But in the Times, one agent suggested that, you know, the publishers that sort of rushed to sign diverse authors, not really having the internal infrastructure to sell these books. And while that may be true, I think the broader point here is that we don't have the external infrastructure in place to sell these books, right? And that's change that publishers should be looking to, and I think can effectively address. For example, supporting schools and supporting literacy rates. You know, in black neighborhoods, there's a, a real lack of bookstores, right? I think libraries are a great example here. You have all of these wonderful, diverse books being published and signed up, and the institution that I think is most well positioned to share them and reach new readers and bring readers into the library, you know, is the, is the library. But where is the library support here? Especially, I point out, in the digital space, because digital library or library ebook lending, uh, those policies there are really are an equity issue. And the library community has always sort of taken them on as an equity issue. But I think my real point here, when we talk about diversity in the publishing industry, I think we know that DEI policies in terms of human resources are kind of a blunt instrument in what really is a, a bigger cultural battle, right? There's a need here for broader change. Now, I don't know what these efforts need to look like from the publishing industry, but I very much believe that any effort to bring diversity into the book business has got to be rooted in reaching more diverse readers, right? Uh, and that includes kids, who are going to fall in love with books and then grow up and see the book business as an option for them, as something that they really want to do. You know, it can't just be about trying to recruit more diverse workers in this moment and, you know, you know, diversify your workforce in that way or signing up more black authors with no real infrastructure to sell or share their books widely. Now, publishers are doing a lot of this work. They are involved in a lot of this stuff. And that's going to be slow change. But I think there's also much more that can be done and no doubt it's going to require patience and commitment. It's going to require generational change, too, which is definitely coming. Uh, and that, too, I believe this is all going to be very hard to measure in the short term, such as, you know, through surveys like this one. But I believe, you know, this is all in the works. Anyway, there's a lot to chew on. 
in this latest Lee and Lowe survey. Uh, and again, not just on race. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of diversity issues that are taken up in this survey. And I, I think surveys like this are an invaluable resource that I hope will spark and continue a conversation about the change we need and how we make that change in our industry. Hachette has released its year-end results for 2023 this week, Andrew, and the figures must be disappointing for the new leadership. Yes, yeah, so we've seen some major changes at Hachette, including a reorganization and a new CEO and David Shelley taking over for Michael Peach. And the publisher's 2023 results offer a sense of why that change was probably needed, right? Citing difficult comparisons to 2022 when Colleen Hoover's Verity and Run Rose Run by Dolly Parton and James Batterson sold in big numbers, uh, revenue at the Hachette Group fell 6.8% in 2023. That is indeed a precipitous drop. Now, uh, Hachette's parent company, Lagardere, made the presentation here of the numbers, but there was no mention in the presentation of the decision back in November to form this new United English Language Management Structure with David Shelley at the helm here, except to say that the company strongly believes in publishing for years to come, which I would hope so. That's good news. But Hachette Parent Lagardere said they also have plans to grow organically and that they would also consider further acquisition. So I don't know if that means they have uh, acquisitions, targets, insights, but something to pay attention to in 2024 as well. And looking ahead to 2024, the company also predicted that sales and earnings will both be flat with last year. So that's not terribly good news. Tough times, I think, at Hachette in 2023. But I do get the sense that things are starting to straighten out and that the new structure, hopefully, uh, can begin to return the company to, to growth. And let's be honest, a big hit book or two would certainly help. London Book Fair returns on March 12th to Olympia Hall, and PW's London Book Fair preview has arrived. Yeah, and sad to say, I won't be at the London Book Fair this year. Um, as you know, I got promoted in this last year, and in my new role, I really felt it was important for me to give some other PW staffers a chance to attend London this year. Uh, so that's what we're doing. But I did get to do a little work on the preview issue, which is out now. I got to work with our international editor, Ed Nawaka, and I have to say, this year's fair looks fantastic. As Ed noted in his preview article, London over the years has really made some serious efforts to reach beyond the traditional book business to London's many creative sort of book adjacent industries. That's film and TV and tech. And I think it's really paying off and a very rich program. And I will point out, it looks like the Americans are coming back in force this year after some COVID restrictions in years past, as well as the Asian contingencies who were really hit by COVID restrictions in past years. Now, there will be some changes this year, too, most notably the dates which have been moved up from the lovely spring weather of April, shall we say, to mid-March, which can be a little harsh and rainy still in London, though it can also be nice. We'll see what we get. And while many attendees, I think, may be dreading the idea of rainy weather in London in March, there are some clear advantages to the switch for the London Book Fair because this essentially makes the London Book Fair the first major international event on the publishing calendar. So kind of a tone setter for industry discussions for the rest of the year. Uh, the London Book Fair's Olympia is also in the midst of a makeover, part of this ambitious $1 billion plan to turn the landmark Olympia into this glittering cultural hub. But last year, attendees sort of bemoaned the fact that Olympia felt like a hard hat zone. And that's probably going to be the case in some places this year. But fair organizers say it's going to be much better. They promise it will be much better this year. Uh, a lot of the fair's most popular venues are returning. The Tech Theater, 
the Focus Theater, Author HQ, the English Pen Salon, great programs in all of those stages. There's also a new Audio Alley, which is a dedicated audio space for audio exhibitors. And there's an International Markets Theater. Uh, There's the Literary Translation Center that's back. It's returning with a very diverse program. And there's just a really strong slate, over 150 programs by my latest count, featuring industry leaders and experts, and there's a lot of authors and A-listers. They're going to be exploring topics on the rise of AI, the boom of digital audio, uh, the influence of book talk and social media, what's going on in the translation market, copyright, and of course, threats to the freedom to read and publish and other geopolitical forces that are affecting the book world. Um, it's all online now. You can check it out on the PW site. If you're going to London, uh, you'll definitely want to check it out. And, and we'll also have show dailies that will be published online for each day of the fair. And I am very sorry that I will not be there this year. But Chris, please do have a pint for me. All right, Andrew. Well, we will miss you in London, but we'll have you back here on the program next week. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor. Thanks for joining me today with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. Subscribe to Velocity of Content wherever you go for podcasts, and don't miss an episode of the show. The CCC Podcast is also available on the CCC YouTube channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for joining me. Mm-hmm.